Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. Well, dear listener, we hope that you've had a great start into the new year and we're here with an all new episode to delight you once again. So. This time around we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping in regards of the most exciting transfers that have been going on during the winter transfer window so far. We'll be chatting about the CAS upholding FC Köln's transfer ban and what that means for the club. And of course we'll also be having our say about the departure of the truly great Franz Beckenbauer and what he meant to German football. Well, my name is Nick Biltong and joining me today to discuss all of these things and an awful lot more is none other than, you know, book author and Bundesliga expert, Terry DeFellen. Hello, Nick, and Happy New Year to you and to the listeners. When you say an awful lot more, I've only got that on the list, so that's all I can really talk about. There's two points, actually, on the list that I haven't mentioned. That you've not mentioned. Okay, all right. All right, well, you carry on, and I'll just quickly re-examine the script. All right, whilst uh, Terry is re-examining the script, we'll be taking a break, and we'll be back with part one. Right, here we go. It's part one of Talking Foosball, the first Talking Foosball of 2024. And, well, the last few years have not really been kind on people like historic figures from the world of football. Maradona has departed, Pelé has departed, Bobby Charlton has departed. And, well, now, probably, arguably, the truly greatest player that Joan Football has ever produced departed on January 8th when he died in Salzburg, surrounded by his family. It's none other than Der Kaiser, Franz Beckenbauer, who died at the age of 78. Well, Terry, you do know your German football. You have read an awful lot about its history. What were your immediate thoughts when you heard about Der Kaiser's departure? Well, it's always very strange and mixed emotions, isn't it, when somebody passes you know, at the age that he has. I mean, at 78, you you do probably feel that there's a lot more for people to offer and a lot more life to have in this day and age. So it isn't necessarily feelings of of shock. But nevertheless, there's a degree of sadness because, you know, it is the passing of a legend. And I guess it's just a reminder, I think, of the kind of player that Franz Beckenbauer was and the kind of era and generation that he represented you know, the real sort of like emergence of football as a mass spectator sport, as a cultural phenomenon in the 1960s and 70s. And Beckenbauer was one of the leaders of that and one of the all-time greats, an absolute pioneer of his sport, obviously for the main Germany. But, you know, as even if I wasn't a German football guy, you know, I don't think that there's a football fan across the globe who doesn't know that name Beckenbauer and doesn't respect the name for his footballing achievements, not just his success, but also the way he played football and the way he pioneered the game and the position that he played in. Well, I mean, there are loads and loads of stories, anecdotes that surround Franz Beckenbauer that have been told time and time again. I mean, there's the one about, you know, the famous slap in his face of an 1860 Munich player. The fact that he was supposed to, you know, actually join 1860 Munich, but that he decided against doing that because his player slapped him in the face when he was playing a match against 1860 Munich's youth outfit as a 13-year-old boy who played for SC München. 
if that story is true, there are some doubts about that. But even though the Kaiser has told the story himself, then there's the fact that he, as, as you mentioned, uh, he, he reinvented or pioneered the position of der Libero within German football. He was one of those guys who were key to Bayern's emergence in the Bundesliga and for their continued success throughout the 70s. And the same can be said about his role in the German national team. He captained both sides. He won an awful lot of titles with both sides as a player. He, I mean, he won the European Championship, which was a very different format back then, the World Cup. He won every thinkable title with Bayern in the 60s and 70s. When he started out as a Bayern player, he was actually playing in the second division back then, in the Regionalliga, as it was called. And he was one of those guys alongside Gerd Müller and Zep Meyer who lifted the club from that division into the Bundesliga and then established it there and made it great. I think that that's one of the more fascinating aspects of that era of football is that it was that time in the game's development, the professional game's development, where it was possible for you to get, if you like, a trio of top-class players keep them at a second division club for a while and then help them to lift your club up to a point where they were able to develop a platform with for which they could stay in, in that ascendant position, well, for all eternity, it would appear. And that's not something that happens really now. There's no possibility of a club in any professional league really being able to lift itself, say, from its second tier to the top and then stay there. I mean, you know, Leicester City notwithstanding. That just isn't something that can be done. Leicester did it and then went back down again. That scenario just, I think, is just not realistic in the modern football economic landscape. It gave Beckenbauer and his contemporaries that enormous power, I guess, because of that achievement. And almost sort of like elevates them to sort of, you know, football godhood, really. Certainly legendary status. So it's a sad moment, but it feels, I think, for those that didn't know him, it feels like a kind of a passing of the era. And I think you're right, Nick. I think when you think back and you've got Pelé and you've got Maradona, Bobby Charlton quite recently, you know, all moving on. And we're sort of like witnessing that sort of like end of that era and maybe sort of like taking a moment to reflect on times that have passed and things that are no longer what they are. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing necessarily, but it is something that's worth reflecting on. It's worth also reflecting on the impact that he had also with that German national team in 1974 after the disappointing result against East Germany. I think Beckenbauer was one of the key players that lifted the side so that they could then go on to win that World Cup. And obviously, you know, he's got tremendous leadership skills as evidenced by his tremendous performance, you know, in the 1990 World Cup as the manager of the West German national team. I mean, the guy was a great player but very obviously a great leader as well. And they're not always, you know, guaranteed to be the same thing. It's not always straightforward for top players to go on to become great leaders. Ask Wayne Rooney, for example, the latest in a long line of great players who hasn't quite made it. Well, I mean, I I did like Wayne's quote, though. Uh, The haters said that I wasn't going to make it at Derby, and uh, they were right. (laughs) Which I, I thought was, I mean, yes, Baza, you do have a bit of a sense of uh, humour there, and I appreciate that. Yeah, he's an all right guy, Waza. yeah. He is. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. but talking about Beckbauer, I do think when you mentioned the 1990 World Cup there and his role as a coach, 
I mean, one of his most famous sentences ahead of a World Cup encounter is that, well, he basically went into the dressing room and told the players, get out onto the pitch and play football. That was his team talk. <laughs> I was not really rich on detail, tactical adjustments, and, you know, you might want to have an eye out for this or that. That was not really his style as a coach, but what he did have as a person, he was extremely likable, charming. He had a certain aura about himself, a certain charm that, you know, let him get away with a lot of things, even, you know, in the 60s and 70s, like fathering a child out of wedlock and then, you know, not marrying the mother of that child or, you know, getting divorced or, you know, suddenly moving to New York with another woman. You know, all of these things that he did do, which were not necessarily accepted by society back then, but he did do them anyway because he was a free man and he did as he pleased in those things. And I mean, the amazing thing here is that, you know, he's had a lot of women in his life, but all of these women, you know, came to his 75th birthday party. I mean, nobody seems to be mad at him, even though, you know, he's cheated, lied, and, uh, you know, swapped them around as he pleased, basically. And I do think that says something about the guy, too. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, he wasn't a saint, and I don't think anybody is suggesting that he was a saint. But you're right. I mean... His likability, his affability, he is reputed to be a, you know, a fundamentally decent guy. And he had flaws. He had flaws later in life. In his career, he became embroiled in FIFA, you know, an organization that could corrupt the soul of a saint. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether or not that's something that we would reflect too much on at this moment because he's passed, it's over, you know, and it's happened. And it's not like he did anything unspeakably bad that we are aware of anyway. Well, I mean, it's sort of like the argument that Jan Ulrich, the cyclist, put forward saying that, I mean, he just published an Amazon Prime documentary series and saying that, well, you know, I, I mean, the reason why I did EPO and why it got brought on the whole doping thing is because everybody else was doing it and I wanted to, you know, have a fair chance and, you know, have a fair fight because I knew that if I'd wasn't going to do it everybody else was going to cycle faster and i might have had the satisfaction of doing it as, as a clean athlete but i wouldn't have competed with you know the same advantages as everybody else and yes i mean that might be a line of defense that germany might take when it comes to the 2006 world cup which franz Beckenbauer was really a key man to get that world cup to germany i mean he traveled the world he worked incredibly hard to get the world cup to germany but at the same time, years later, it turned out that a lot of shady dealings, a lot of shady bank transfers were made. Franz Beckenbauer signed some papers. He said that he signed those papers not knowing what they said. He just signed them because they were put in front of him. Really poor defense. It might be true, though. But yeah, and you know, I mean, he was involved in that vote that gifted the World Cup to Qatar. He hasn't really said an awful lot about it publicly. The vote was uh, confidential, so we don't know which way he voted, really. But yeah, I mean, those things really happened later in life. But nobody really seemed mad at him for all of these things when everything was uh, all things considered. Because, again, he was such a charming guy. Yeah, and with a magnificent legacy. I mean, this is a guy who's brought joy to countless people and has earned the respect you know, of countless more all across the globe. I mean, he's an easy guy to forgive, I guess, is probably what it was with Beckenbauer. And I think that that's probably why he's probably almost universally mourned, I would have suggested. You know, when you consider that he is a Bayern Munich legend, 
you know, there are other Bayern Munich legends that will be mourned less so when they pass than Franz Beckenbauer. But I think, again, because of the era that he comes from, and again, because of the kind of personality and the persona that he projected, that despite the uh, dishonesty later in his life, there was an honesty about his personality that I think people relate to and related to. And consequently, yeah, I think that's why he is missed and he is mourned. I think there was one more player within German football that was as universally loved as Franz Beckenbauer in Germany, and that was Uwe Zeller. Sure. HSV legend Uwe Zeller. And I think Gerd Müller as well was probably loved, but not equally, along the same lines as Beckenbauer and Zeller. And um, all of these three guys are gone. And I mean, there are a lot of other players, big, you know, greats from that area of the 70s and around still. But yes, as you say, I don't think we'll have the same sort of public mourning. I mean, former Werder Bremen sporting manager Willy Lemke said it would maybe be a good idea to rename the DFB Pokal Beckenbauer Cup. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Which is, I mean, when you think about the fact that Willy Lemke hated Bayern Munich because of a certain figure that isn't going to be mourned as much when he's going to pass, and that is Uli Hoeneß. You know, he really was embroiled in a lot of fights with Uli Hoeneß throughout the 80s and the 90s. And these two men had it at each other and they hated each other with an unbridled passion. And that went both ways. Uh, You know, so for somebody who was in such tense fights with, you know, the Bavarian outfit and its leaders to suggest something along those lines says it really all for me of how well liked Beckenbauer was all across German football. Mm. And I think that that's a really, really good idea. I think that that's definitely worth consideration, renaming the the FB Pokal, the Franz Beckenbauer Cup or what have you, whatever it would be. It would at least be better than the Red Bull DFB Pokal or, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I'd rather go for the Beckenbauer Cup. Yeah, definitely. Well. One last thing I think we would be remiss to mention, that the fact that, you know, you mentioned his legacy as a coach and yes, there was the World Cup in 1990, but actually... His record as a club coach, he took over Bayern Munich on some occasions as a coach as well. And his record there is really insane because first time he got in charge, he was put in charge for just the Rückrunde, turned things around, won the German championship with them. And the next time, he was put in charge with, I think, two or three matches left to play in the season. And on top of those two or three Bundesliga matches, there was, you know, a certain (laughs) UEFA Cup final, which he also won. So I think he's coached Bayern Munich for like 25, 30 matches and he has won the German Championship and the UEFA Cup with them. (laughs) (laughs) But again, as you suggest, if he's the guy to come in and step in and provide inspiration at clutch moments for a brief period of time, then that all fits nicely into that narrative, doesn't it? It does indeed. Well, if you want to learn more about Kaiser Franz's life and legacy, I can tell you actually that I recorded a podcast with Uli Hasse, uh, I think a little, little over half a year ago, which can be found on Spotify or wherever you hear your podcast. So look up that episode and listen to it, and you learn an awful lot more about what Kaiser Franz has been up to in his life, because an awful lot of it has been really exciting. And the book, of course, Uli Hasse wrote the book, The Three Lives of the Kaiser, which, yeah, you should probably add to your bookshelf. It's a must-read It was a must-read then. It is even more so a must-read now, I would suggest. It's probably one of the greatest biographies about a footballer that I've read. 
put that on your bookshelf. Anyways, changing topics, let's look at FC Köln. Me and Matt, we talked about them a little while ago. We said, we know, not all is lost for them. Stefan Baumgart can stay in charge. And as long as the uh, cast doesn't, you know, put that transfer ban into action, Köln should get a few new players during the winter transfer window. Change things up. You know, you don't want to have Davy Selke as your, you know, your main man in attack. And things should be good. Well, a couple of matches later, Baumgart gone. Shaved his beard, went on a skiing holiday, looks 25 years younger. And additionally, transfer ban reinstilled. Meaning, players can be sold but not bought. Not even players out of a contract can be brought in. So all that Köln basically has in its arsenal right about now is its youth academy. And its, you know, Regionalliga side. That's where they can get players from. Yeah, they're in deep trouble. They're in deep, deep trouble. And obviously they let go of Baumgart. And well, I mean, it's difficult to know whether or not that. I suppose ultimately, and it's always the same, when your team is failing and you don't have the means to be able to replace the team, then you've got no choice but to replace the coach. But it's two wins all season. Right, three if you count the DFB Pokal first round win. Two wins all season I mean, that's a terrible record. If it'd been anybody else, I think Baumgart would have gone sooner, I suspect. And maybe any other club. He had some credit in the bank, and th- that doesn't happen often in Cologne. I mean, the club is notorious for being uh, filled with drama, backstabbing, and really unworkable environment for coaches at times. Just ask Stolle Solbakken here in Norway. You know, if you want to have a good laugh, just look up Stolle Solbakken speaks to the German press. That rant is legendary and great. Well, new coach at the Geisbockheim now is Timo Schulz. He had a really dreadful stay at Basel where things really didn't work out because, you know, it was another club in turmoil. Before that, he was in charge at Sampauni in the Bundesliga 2. Had a somewhat difficult start there and then turned things around for about a season. And when he started into his second full season, he got sacked after half a season because things were really dreadful at the winter break. And Fabian Hürzler came in, overtook that squad and almost got promoted with them after Schultz had almost left them on a relegation spot after the hit So that is basically Timo Schultz's CV. Does that sort of CV instill confidence in you that he's the right man for that enormous job that it is to keep Köln in the Bundesliga? Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but I mean, all I would say is that I don't know whether or not there is really a right coach for Cologne at this time. They're in such a state as it is that any coach with a winning record is not likely to accept the offer at Cologne, I mean, they'll be in work apart from the US, but any coach who has just recently, you know, left the club after a poor run of results, but generally speaking, it is still, you know, has a good reputation as is expected to do well, you know, would probably stay away from Cologne because I think, you know, when you've got a transfer embargo, there's clearly financial problems. And as you say, Nick, historically, it's not always the happiest place. It certainly ruined a good coach's reputations. So, so Cologne don't get to shop in the swanky department store where all the top level coaches are. They have to kind of like, you know, 
go a couple of a notches down from there with all due respect to Timo Schultz and, and apologies for that comparison. It was either him or Thomas Rungen. So, um... Right. Thomas, Thomas Wrighton. <laughs> Thomas Rungen. What a Rungen. <laughs> Michael Fassbender would appreciate that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that they're in a position where they can really have too many choices. I mean, I think, you know, in view of the fact that he had, you know, maybe he's a guy to lead them back out of the second division next season as things stand at the moment. But it is difficult to see where they go from next, as you say. I mean, they really did need some help in the transfer market to bolster their squad if they possibly could. That's not going to happen. How much money they would have been able to have spent, of course, is another matter. And yeah, I mean, analysts and people who follow Cologne closely may well have strong opinions about the youth team, about their amateur side, about whether or not they've got reserves that they can pull forward and work out. And I guess that's going to be the challenge is can they spot someone there who they think can come through and make a contribution and lift them? It's very difficult at the moment. But I mean, there are some pretty average teams, lower than average teams in in this Bundesliga this season, aren't there, Nick? So it's not entirely out of the question. I mean, the thing is, keep Cologne in the Bundesliga. You'll still have a pretty large chunk of unhappy players who want to be sold next summer. Mm. And you probably have to sell them because, I mean, it will be a mutiny if you don't. Mm. Which means that you have to replace them with your reserves and your youth players because you won't be able to shop in the summer either. Go down to the Bundesliga 2, you'll even have a bigger chunk of players that wants to leave and you'll have, once again, to replace them with your youth players and your reserves. I mean, which option is the worst here, really? I mean, because, I mean, option one, yes, you stayed in the league because, I don't know, Darmstadt is shit and Mainz was even shittier than you, for instance, and you, you know, club maybe managed to pull through a relegation playoff. But you lose half your squad and then the following season, come next winter break, you've been absolutely slaughtered by the rest of the league. Yeah. Well, football is such a short term endeavour, isn't it, that you would still prefer to stay in the top division rather than suffer the financial penalties of having to get rid of all of those players, those players' market value, just by dint of the fact that they've been relegated, will be reduced, I would suspect. Because, you know, buying clubs will know that there's a fire sale, that they need to get those guys off the books and then having to start from there. Nick, forgive me, I'm afraid I don't know, but perhaps you can tell me when is the ban due to be lifted? Or indeed, is it an indefinite? I assume it's not an indefinite ban. It's not indefinite. No, it's two transfer windows. So basically meaning this transfer window and the next transfer window. So the summer transfer window, which means that come next winter, Cologne will once again be able to shop players again but I mean by then if you're on the Bundesliga but you're on four points who wants to join that side during the winter or if you are in the Bundesliga 2 and you are sort of lower mid-table are you going to get the sort of players that potentially might get you to the Bundesliga probably not Mm, yeah I mean I think either way you skin it I think you're better off up in that higher league because of the additional financial and the presumably, oh wait, I was going to say the effect it would have on attendance, but of course, you know, Cologne sells out its stadium, whatever division it's in. But but I think you're you're better off up in there. I think either way you look at it, it's looking really pretty desperate for the next year, year and a half. Because as you say, Nick, 
it's going to require a sporting director who's going to have a prodigious Rolodex, who's going to call in a lot of favours to agents to say, look, can we grab this guy on loan for a few months? Try and find someone who maybe is a little bit of a loose end at the club that they're at. They're quite good. They need to get out. Say, so we'll have them on loan for a few months just to bed them in and they might help. You know, that's the kind of clutch kind of transfer management that you would be looking at once that ban is lifted. Now, they've got a year to sort all that out and to get into that kind of place. But I don't know. It's Cologne, isn't it? I'm not quite sure. They never strike you as being a, a club that's able to be nimble on its feet. And it is quite depressing, I think, you know, for the club and for the city and their fans. I mean, this is me just being in full-blown crisis mode, but I think what the club really should be afraid of at this stage is maybe getting relegated twice in a row. That does, on the surface, sound perhaps overly dramatic, but I don't think it's out of the question. And that would be catastrophic. I mean... Bielefeld did that, and they were able yes. to sell and buy players. But I mean, yeah, it's sort of, sort of like a different sort of caliber, different sort of size of club. Yes, and they made a lot of wrong turns when once they got relegated. But I mean, in that sort of situation that Köln are in, you just think, well, talking about making a lot of wrong turns. Well, you don't have anywhere to turn. Mm. You're stuck with what you've got. And what you've got is a lot of players who might want to leave you. Yeah. Meaning that, you know, you might even need to bring in more unexperienced players who are not ready for this level at all. Hmm. Players you usually would say, well, if he's lucky, we might sell him on to Bundesliga 2 or Dritte Liga outfit. And suddenly these guys might potentially be playing Bundesliga or Bundesliga 2 football for one of Germany's biggest clubs ever. Mm. Which sounds utterly insane. And well, I mean, having said that, if we look at what Schulz has got to work with, I mean, he had his debut now against Heidenheim. Tough match, tough match, yep. but uh, ended 1 1. Yep. Köln took the lead through Davy Selke. Heidenheim equalized in the second half through Adrian Back. It was a fairly closely fought fight. Both teams pretty much were producing as many shots, had as much possession as these. I mean, it was a really. Really well-balanced match. Both teams could have had a lucky punch, basically, but in the end, it was a fan square result, which really didn't help Köln at all because they really desperately needed that win, really. They need wins. They basically just need wins. I mean, that's all that helps them right about now, but at least they got a draw. Yeah, but it was against Heidenheim, who are obviously, you know, relegation rivals. So, you know, that would be regarded as a six-pointer, really, wouldn't it? And, and so it's an unsatisfying result for both sides. But yes, they need wins. They need them soon. And otherwise, they're in for what's likely to be an extremely tense end of the season. You would suggest, oh gosh, you could certainly see them going down the trapdoor automatically without being reduced to a playoff. It's uncertain times. Really uncertain times. And uh, I mean, to add to that, Mark Oot out for a few more weeks. Luca Waldschmidt out for several weeks, according to Kicker. And now, just before we recorded, I saw a story on Kicker as well that Davy Selke is also injured and will be out, which basically means that all of the attackers that Köln have at hand are basically out, injured. Oh, wow. And uh, I mean, usually a sporting director would call up some agents and say, who do you want to place on loan? We might be able to fix you up. Because we are in desperate dire need of, you know, getting a player who can fit into those positions. Not able to do that. So, 
Where Cullen is going to go from here is going to be exciting to see, but it's really, really uncertain times. Part two of Talking Foosball and uh, all your transfer freaks are going to be relieved that Terry DeFelman and I are finally going to talk about all those exciting wind transfers and, uh, <laughs> uh, well, there haven't been an awful lot, have there? There's not been a huge amount. I was about to say, I'm still early in the window, but actually it's the 14th. We're halfway. Yeah, we're halfway through already. My goodness, the time has gone. Um, yeah, so not a great deal, particularly not a great deal of incomings, with one, I think, notable exception, Nick, in Eintracht Frankfurt. There are others, but we can start with Frankfurt, can't we? Frankfurt do have, you know, a bit of a challenge in terms of personnel being out for, you know, the African Cup of Nations, which we're going to talk about next. So, I mean, they've got three players out. So they got in two players, basically, on, you know, really decent transfers. And, I mean, the biggest biggest name the most notable name there was Donny van den Beck who comes from Manchester United on a loan I think Frankfurt actually I think I've heard that Frankfurt actually has a purchase option on him and additionally they also have Sasa Kalajic from Wolverhampton Wanderers on loan which you know you might remember him from his time in Stuttgart where he really was one of those guys who kept Stuttgart up at times in the Bundesliga and you know he tried his luck in England hasn't really played an awful lot with Wolves of late and you know he needs some playing time so he's arrived on loan as well and yeah that is basically two really really decent signings definitely Kaladzic obviously there's a lot of injury problems and I think was spent most of his time at Wolves in the treatment room so we didn't really get the opportunity to see what he could do over here in England. Donny van den Beek is, I mean, there's a player who has gone to Manchester United and it's clearly not worked out. What Manchester United player thinks, well, this move to Manchester United has really worked out well. I mean, well, even, even the guys who are playing, I mean, ask Bruno Fernandes, do you think your move to Manchester United has worked out? Ask Krasimiro. But van den Beek, I think if his career had gone on the trajectory it should have done, Frankfurt would have been nowhere near a player of that calibre. So it's kind of worked in Frankfurt's favour. And it's smart recruitment from Frankfurt. It's a smart move. And he was in the team yesterday. So, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, disaffected Manchester United players going out on loan to Bundesliga club is a bit of a thing. But this is probably one of the lesser talked about ones slightly lesser talked about ones, certainly in England, obviously. But uh, yeah, that is a really super, super smart move from Frankfurt. And I think we talked about them last time you and I did a two-hander Frankfurt and felt quite strongly that although they had a bit of a less than steady start to the campaign, you know, they come on strong and I think they're going to be an absolute force uh, in the Rookerunda. They're going to be indeed. And uh, I mean, talking about moves in from England... Bayern and Dortmund have also been, you know, shopping in the Premier League. And, uh, well, I mean, Bayern has actually signed a player, whilst uh, Borussia Dortmund has gotten two players on loan without a purchase option. Let's just start with your team, Borussia Dortmund, who have they brought in? Well, they brought in Ian Martin from Chelsea, who spent last season at Burnley and had a good time there. And he's uh, he's come in basically to replace Remy Benzabaimi, who is, I think, officially being replaced because Benzabaini is at AFCON. But I think unofficially, I think he's replacing Benzabaini because that has not been a, that's not worked out. Additionally, Ruerson, who's basically the best fullback, you know, for either side, he's injured as well. Yes. 
Yeah, and now Rearson is a player I like, incidentally, a lot. He, you know, he got his start really into professional football at Viking Stavanger, much like Roy Hodgson has coached Viking Stavanger. And there we go, <laughs> listeners, the obligatory reference to uh, Viking Stavanger and Roy Hodgson. <laughs> well, just to finish on Matson, yeah, I mean, I, I did, didn't watch much championship last season, though he was part of a very good Burnley side in the championship. No reason not to feel confident and optimistic about that signing from a Dortmund perspective. But obviously the bigger, slightly higher profile signing is going to be Jaden Sancho, who joins Borussia Dortmund after what can only be described as a very unhappy spell at Manchester United after having fallen out with the boss. And it is reported fallen out with a number of key players in the United dressing room. And he is back Again, no buy option, and not surprisingly, because I imagine his wages would be a fortune and his transfer fee would be very high. But he came on, both players played, and um, Matson got a yellow card, and uh, Sancho got an assist, assisted Marco Royce. And it was all warm and fuzzy feelings, and you know, suddenly we were all checking our clocks and wondering what year it was. It was very nice. Now, obviously, it's Darmstadt, so we'll see whether or not that's a good move. But it was significant that Sancho played. I did wonder whether or not he might, because he hasn't played since August, that match fitness might be an issue. But he played, he looked sharp. Hasn't been able to train with the first team either, has he? He's not, no, no, exactly. We all know from, I'm sure Bundesliga fans remember from when Sancho was a Dortmund player, that he had disciplinary issues with the club there, but nothing like to the level that's happening there. And Clearly, Sancho, I think, is a guy who needs to probably be handled and managed, perhaps in ways that other players don't get uh, handled. But I still feel that it's incumbent upon, you know, if someone as experienced a coach as Eric Ten Hag should have enough about him to be able to manage these things better than exiling him to private training and then finally shipping him back to the, to the club that they paid a large amount of money to get him off. So I don't think that that situation has been handled very well all round. But so far, Dortmund appear to be the net benefit from this deal so far. We shall see. What you're basically saying is that Jaden Sancho is a poor man's Max Cruiser. I mean, Sancho is clearly turning into a modern football maverick. He's the kind of guy that if this was the 1970s, he would drink five pints of beer before going onto the pitch, you know, and he'd play with his socks rolled down to his ankles. And you don't get many mavericks in modern football. And it's possible that Sancho is that. And yeah, if he is something of a, you know, to put it kindly, free spirit, then, you know, that might be the issue. It also kind of explains maybe why Gareth Southgate's not looked at him for England as much as when he was really ripping up trees at Dortmund and he didn't feature in the England team. I don't know. I'm just like putting two and two together and getting 67. So I don't know. But I mean, obviously, as a Dortmund guy, I think he's great. I think he's a terrific player. And Dortmund, are, I think, have done very well to get him for the short time that they have him. As a London guy, what do you think about Ari Dyer then, who's moved from Spurs over to Bayern München, a second player who's done so this season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Sancho's a South London boy. He's, uh, he's, he's the same as me. He's from the right side of London, isn't he? He's, the, he's from the right side of London. When I was watching Bundesliga in the Zeitgeist, Sancho was a couple of blocks down the road playing in those cages as a young lad. Anyway, it's full answer. circle. You have to tell him that next time you meet him. What you need to do is at the end of the season, he does a great season there. He goes back to United. They still don't like him. They still don't want him. And they'll loan him out to Palace for a season. And I think at that point his contract's up and then he can make it. That's the dream 
That's the goal. That's what we're looking for. Roy's on it. Roy's on it. Roy will be gone by then. No, look, he we won't have all- be. He won't yes. be. I tell you, he'll do another season. Roy will not do another season. He's made it abundantly clear that he won't do another season. Yes, much, much like Uli Hoeneß saying, yes, I will never return to Bayern Munich in any sort of meaningful fashion. And then Oliver Kahn just screws the pooch and you see Oli saying, no, I'm coming back. Yes. Okay, <laughs> no, I understand. I think I think Jupp Heynckes is probably a kinder comparison than Uli Hoeneß if we're talking about Roy Hodgson. But, but whatever. Um, anyway, apologies, listeners. I do know this is not a Premier League podcast. It's not a Roy Hodgson podcast. Although this is the most animated that we've got in this podcast and we're not <laughs> yes. talking about the Bundesliga, which may tell you something. Eric Dyer then, very much not in Ange Postacoglu's plans, but a solid pro and a good guy, I think, to have around. Probably a good dressing room presence. I don't know whether or not Harry Kane has anything to do with this, but I wouldn't also be surprised if Thomas Tuchel would have seen the player. He obviously coached in the Premier League for a while. Thomas Tuchel, like a lot of modern coaches, knows the Premier League very well and may well have seen Zara said, that guy is a quality player who's kicking his heels. Let's have him over here because we could use him. And they certainly could use him. Now, he has a, you know, he has a tendency to make mistakes. And he's, you know, he's had an interesting and somewhat fractious relationship with some elements of Tottenham's fan base as well. None of which should really make any difference as to whether or not he's going to do well in Bayern. But I think it's a really, I did never would have imagined that Eric Dyer would ever leave England, frankly, unless it was to go back to Portugal. And to see him rock up at Bayern is like quite extraordinary. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite excited to see, you know, what he does. I, I would assume he's going to be peripheral. He'll get a little bit of action during AFCON, but how much we'll see him do, I don't know. It's his opportunity. It's his chance to shine. Right. Indeed. One more transfer that we haven't mentioned that actually has been made official is the transfer of Elif Elmas, who has joined RB Leipzig, the 24 North Macedonian midfielder, comes from Napoli after almost 200 matches there in four years. He basically is a one-on-one replacement for Emil Forsberg, who's, you know, went to the London branch of the business. (laughs) He's gone to the New York branch of the business. No, the, yes, the New York branch. I'm sorry, yes, not London, New York, of course. A little bit further over the pond, as it turns out. Uh, anyways, uh, Werder Bremen are about to sign an Argentinian defender called uh, Julian Malatini, 22 years old. Plays for defender in Argentine. Know nothing about him, really, um, only that he's a 22-year-old defender who can play in central defense and on the right-hand side. Basically, a squad player that Ola Werner has desperately wanted and needed maybe you know somebody who can pressure Mitch Weiser a little bit on the right hand side but yeah if he's the sort of player who can help Werder Bremen from the get-go I don't know the low transfer fee of two million euros which is discussed and the fact that he's 22 years old might tell you that he might be one for the future don't know that's all the transfers we've actually got. Incoming. We've yeah. managed to talk about yeah. all the transfers that have been basically done yeah. in the Bundesliga. Anyways, one last thing before we wrap things up. Now, as we record, the African Cup of Nations and uh, the Asian Cup are kicking around. Matches are being played. Teams in all leagues have to, you know, send their players away, even if they don't want to. But now that we've actually taken a look at which teams have had to send their players abroad. It turns out that this actually might impact the race for the championship in the Bundesliga somewhat, doesn't it, Terry? Yeah, I think that Bayer Leverkusen are probably the team that are suffering the most from these absences. 
I mean, Victor Boniface, for example, their top scorer, was called into the Nigerian team. And he would have only been away for, obviously, a few weeks. I mean, you'd expect Nigeria to go quite deep in that competition, even though they drew 1-1 just now. But they're expected to go quite deep. But it's now made worse because while he was in the Middle East warming up for that tournament, he got injured. And now he's he's gone. He's not expected to be back until... Match day 28. So he is a casualty of AFCON, even though he's an injury. But yeah, Adley, Tapsoba, Kasuna, all gone. That's a, that's a big loss, isn't it? Basically, four players who tend to slot straight into the starting lineup. Mm. Especially Kosunu. Um Yeah. But do you think, I mean, I know Leverkusen won and everyone was like quite excited about the fact that they pulled the win out of the bag. But last gasp winners at Augsburg is. Not really championship form, is it? So, I don't know. I guess the point is now just win ugly. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I might want to argue with that because, I mean, the other way of looking at it is that this is sort of reminiscent of how Bayern wins their championships. I mean, I was watching the conference and the thing was that what impressed me with the Leverkusen in that match was the fact that they didn't stop believing in their style of play. You know, they didn't sort of start with, the, you know, the, the rubbish long balls up the pitch. They were playing their style of football, believing in it and finally getting the result. I mean, yes, they were wasteful. Yes, they should have had more goals throughout the match. But they always kept the faith and were rewarded in the end with that goal. What about Bayer Leverkusen's title challenger, title rival, FC Bayern München? They've lost two players. They've lost two players, but both of these are defenders. And as we do know, defense has been sort of an issue for them. I mean, they've had Leon Goretzka, Konrad Leimer. A lot of midfielders have had to play defensive roles or in that back four of Tuchel's over the last few months. Because Bayern really, I mean, there's no two ways around that. They really screwed the pooch during the summer transfer window, didn't get enough players in, and now they've got two defenders out. Nobody really coming in so far. Yeah, so I mean, Jay Kim and Nuzair um, Masrawi. So, yeah, two big losses, I would certainly say. Um, obviously, Eric Dyer is on case coming in, but uh, do you think losses to the point where Bayern could lose more ground in the title race. My instinct is, is that they'll still find a way to win. That's mine too. Well, I do think that we might see them more, you know, I mean, they are going to be weakened at the back. I do think there might be in a position where they might concede more goals going forward. But, I mean, they've got basically got a striker who's on his way to equal or maybe even beat that season Robert Lewandowski had a few years ago where he scored 41 goals. You're talking about uh, the striker, the boy. The, the boy. boy Kane. The boy Kane. The yeah. boy Kane, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's having a blinder, isn't he? Yeah, it's got to be He sick. is having a blinder, and as long as he's going to have that blinder, and as long as you've got a striker who might, you know, get close to the region of 45 goals, one player by himself, it's going to be hard to gather more points than the team that has the guy who scores 40-plus goals. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think that if the worst-case scenario, Bayern can just simply outscore the opposition for this season. A different story when it comes to Champions League, of course, but yeah. Who cares about the Champions League? Well, Harry Kane does. That's why he's there, I think. He's there to win stuff. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I don't think he's gone to Bavaria for the waters and for the beer. 
I think he's gone for the trophies. Well, he might be able to put a France Beckenbauer Cup into his, you know. Well, no, because they got knocked end. out, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, that's next season. They knocked season. out of the France Beckenbauer Cup, but maybe next season. Yeah. Next season, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, other teams that really have been sort of uh, hit hard are Stuttgart and Eintracht Frankfurt. And I mean, as we as we talked about transfers, we've seen that Stuttgart and Frankfurt have handled this rather differently on the transfer market because Frankfurt brought in a couple of guys to, you know, fill some of the gaps here. Stuttgart haven't brought in anyone, but listen to that. They've got Sarah Jurassic, their best striker is away with Guinea at the African Cup of Nations. Silas is uh, representing the Congo, Democratic Republic of the Congo. And then they've got Ito and uh, Yeung playing in uh, the Asian Cup, which means that, I mean, that's basically three players that might be starters on a you know regular day. And they haven't brought in anyone. No, and they're probably not likely to. Yes. I mean, the first sort of indications of how these two different approaches have worked out is that Eintracht Frankfurt won 1-0 against Leipzig and Stuttgart lost 3-1 against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I think there's also the possibility that Girassi could go this window anyway. I don't know whether that will actually happen, but I know it was something that was being talked about. But yeah, Stuttgart's season's been amazing. I really hope that they are able to hold on and get something. European qualification, that would be really, really good. And I think it would also be good because the extra income comes in to help with that club's overall revival. But yeah, you can clearly see which club is in the better shape (laughs) between the two of them, depending on how they've done it. The other teams, Nick, uh, there's only sort of like, there's not too many... I mean, like most of the other teams that have lost players have usually lost one player, which isn't necessarily a massive... Yeah, I mean, the, there's one more team that has lost more than one player, and that's Borussia Dortmund. They've lost... Yeah, we talked about Ben's Ben yeah. and Allaire, and, uh, you know, Allaire basically being a French player, Mats and come in to replace Ben Zabini, so I think... I don't, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's an argument. I, I, I don't think it's a particularly controversial to say that Ben Zabini has not really worked out so far at Dortmund, uh, so I don't think too many people are going to miss him. And if, if Mountson actually does well, uh, then you could see him replacing him. But anyway, we did talk about that earlier. I guess Ritsu Doan, Freiburg and Jason Lee at Mainz, those are two big misses. What do you reckon? Yeah, uh, I would add to that list Takuma Asano from Bochum. I mean, I watched Bochum play against Werder Bremen today and you saw that Bochum were, were missing Asano. I mean, he's the sort of guy who uh, gives them a sort of a creative spark, who sort of is unpredictable, who sort of always is the guy who sort of finds space, who can create something, who has the eye for the right pass, who knows when to, you know, cut in and, you know, go for the shot. And um, that was missing from Bochum's attacking approach today. You know, they scored a long-range effort through Osterhag and Werder Bremen equalized that through Niklas Stark with another long-range effort. Really a dreadful, dreadful relegation fight match. And uh, yeah, Bochum... Definitely missing Asano. I mean, Werder Bremen have Nabi Keita out on uh, international duty, but I don't think there's as big a loss because Nabi Keita has basically been injured all season and hasn't, hasn't been playing. I think he started one match, which was on, I think, match day six or seven yeah. against Hoffenheim, and that, that's it. And, you know, some of the other players, I mean, like RB Leipzig's Haidara is out with, uh, with Mali. And yes, I think these players are basically, they can play a role, but they're not, vital enough to sort of warrant bringing in other players on transfers or, no. you know, saying that they're that big a loss that this is going to have a massive impact on the campaign. 
that these teams are currently playing. Yeah, Marco Rosa keeps losing matches. He can't be blaming Haidara's absence, I don't believe. No, I mean, it's because he's Marco Rosa. Hmm. Not big fans of Marco Rosa on this podcast, it's got to be said. No, I mean, um, would I prefer going on a cruise with elderly people for three weeks and, you know, eating liquid food compared to having Marco Rosa's team playing football in front of my eyes? Yes, I probably would go on that cruise. But I think we both prefer to be on a cruise with Max Cruise. Max Cruise? Yes. Cruise with Cruiser? Yes. Let's make that happen. Well, this is it for Talking Foosball once again. This episode has been produced by our all-star producer, Aiden Rantoul. Terry, always a delight to talk to you. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on X and where they can find your work. You can find me on X at Terry DeFellon, but you can also find me on Blue Sky at Terry DeFellon if you're a Blue Sky person. If you're a not, you could you could hook me up. I've got some invites. And uh, you can't find my work really anywhere apart from the Sound of Football podcast, which is out every Tuesday. General football chat with me, Graham Sibley and Jan Bilton. It's a cracking show. Excellent. Um, well, my name is Nick Viltow and you can find me on X at Norm Musings. You can find the podcast at Talking Foosball. Make sure to follow all of these accounts. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. And, uh, well, we'll be back next week with another edition of Talking Foosball. Ausstieg! Talking once again about the Bundesliga 2 and the lower divisions. Until then, it is goodbye for now.